Hello, my name is Amy and welcome to the Natural Birth Co podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is just me behind the mic and we are going to talk about vaginal exams and how the cervix actually works. This podcast is brought to you by Natural Birth Co. We help women and their partners prepare physically and mentally for a natural and empowering birth experience. With pregnancy, yoga, Pilates and workshops all led by a registered midwife, we have a studio here on the Sunshine Coast, Australia. Otherwise, all of our services are available online. You can learn more at naturalbirthco.com. If you wish to advertise on this podcast, you can visit naturalbirthcode.com forward slash pregnancy dash podcast. Now enjoy this ad-free episode. Historically, vaginal exams were actually never a part of assessing labor. There would be plenty of labors and births that would come and go and there would be not one vaginal exam take place. Back in the day, midwives would use vaginal exams very sparingly and it would only be in the sense of if a woman was experiencing slow labor progress because we would be able to assess labor in other ways other than a vaginal exam or if the woman was experiencing pain in a certain place that um, isn't normal labor or if the woman was just feeling a little bit off, we weren't sure what was going on and we might do a vaginal exam in that setting. So it was very, very rare to have to do one. And when we would do a vaginal exam, it would be nothing to do with the cervix. We wouldn't be worried about the cervix or measuring or um, thinking about the cervix in relation to labor. What we would be doing is feeling baby's position and we would be assessing whether baby was a little bit flexed or deflexed, if they had a tilted head, and we would use the information from that vaginal exam as information for us to change the way that we were caring for that woman. And this might be in the sense of changing the position or the movement of the woman to allow babes to wiggle its way into a more optimal position to encourage more descent through the pelvis in labor. So the medicalization of birth started in the 17th century and the transition in the ideology of birth was that it was mechanical and that women's labors should be identical and that labor was broken down into stages and time expectations. A man called Friedman cultivated a huge shift in the culture and ideas surrounding labor in the 1950s when he initiated the assessment of labor progress with cervical dilation. So before the 1950s, cervical dilation was not necessarily an indicator of labor progression. So this is only 70 years old, us doing this. So it's quite new. What Friedman did is he did an experiment with 500 women and assessed their cervixes every single hour. At the end of this experiment, it concluded that on average, a woman dilated 1.2 centimeters an hour. And this meant that women would have um, a 12-hour labor on average. And this was considered the normal. Even this experiment showed that there was a variation of the consistency of that dilation. So it wasn't linear where every single hour the women were dilating 1.2 centimeters. How it would present is that women's cervixes would say plateau at a certain dilation and then it may jump say 
four centimeters for an example. It wouldn't be this one beautiful line of 1.2 centimeters every single hour. However, even with this, the study concluded that women should dilate one centimeter an hour. And if they did not, then they were considered slow progress and obstructed labor. To this day, our midwifery systems and our way of assessing labor progress is still running on this one centimeter per hour regime that women should be sticking to. Even though there has been copious amounts of research to show that using cervical dilation as a form of labor progression is ineffective and is not an accurate way of assessing labor progress, we still use it to this day. How this actually presents in reality right now is that 50% of women at the moment do not fit this regime of one centimeter every single hour. So this means that we label these women as having a slow progress and obstructed labor. And with that, we recommend different interventions to speed their labor up so they can stick more to this regime of what we feel like labor should be. However, the World Health Organization, as a comparison, states that only 3 to 6% of women have a true obstructed labor. So what this is saying is that there's like 47 to 43%, oh, excuse me if my math is wrong there, but 47 to 43% of women receiving completely unnecessary interventions in labor, which has, you know, a whole bunch of problems with receiving unnecessary intervention on its own. That's a huge amount of re- women receiving this unnecessary intervention and not to mention the trauma behind being told that your body's not working and it's not working fast enough and your labor's obstructed that comes with that. So now that we've covered some of the formalities and the history, let's get into how the cervix actually works. I was even contemplating, I was like, I feel a bit contradicting in explaining this when I've just said that it doesn't actually matter. However, majority of my women uh, will birth in the hospital setting and the hospital setting still does do cervical exams to assess labor. So it's important that you still understand how it works, even though we're in this, because you're going to be birthing in this setting where cervical exams matter. So what is the cervix? So you imagine you have your uterus at the bottom, you have the cervix, and then you have the birth passage that comes to the outside of the vagina here. So the cervix, how it looks, if you imagine the woman has her legs up and you're looking up the vagina. The cervix actually looks like the end of your hand when your your fist is coiled up. So it actually looks like this little bit here. Now, it's a long, it's about three to five centimeters long in women who haven't had babies before usually. And it's really firm. It's got this thickness around it. Now, when we are assessing cervical progression, we all talk about dilation and that tends to be all we care about. However, there are actually six signs of cervical progression. So let's talk about that. In a woman who's either pregnant or non-pregnant but hasn't had a baby before and isn't close to having a baby, the cervix is, as I said, long and it's hard and it's thick. It will be not only quite high inside the mother, but it would also be tilted backwards towards the spine. So a lot of these women, you may put your fingers in and you won't even be able to feel the cervix unless you go really, really high. 
Now, a sign of labor progression is that cervix not only coming down in the woman, but pointing forward as well. So that's two really effective signs of labor progression and cervical maturation, so progression as well. Now, this is actually even a really great sign of baby's head moving down, which is a way better sign of cervical of labor progression than the cervix. However, the cervix does display this type of labor progression. Now, the cervix also thins. So in these thick bits here, the width of the cervix, they actually become thinner as well. In addition to that, it becomes a lot more flexible and stretchy. So you say you could put fingers inside a cervix and it's two centimeters, you may even be able to stretch it up to four. That's sign of cervical maturation in comparison to putting fingers in and they're two centimeters and they, the cervix won't stretch beyond that two centimeters. Lastly, the, oh, sorry, second lastly, the cervix actually becomes shorter as well. So that three to five centimeters becomes a lot shorter. So the passage that the finger has to go through the cervix until it reaches the baby's head becomes less. In addition, the last one is dilation. So I want this to be a bit of a reminder. When you do go into the hospital for your birth, or even if you're at home and you're getting a vaginal exam, we don't want to just focus on dilation because sometimes it can seem like, oh, I've only gone from two to three centimeters dilated in the space of four hours, which is how often we do um, like our exams based on the policy. However, women can say no to that, but based on our policy, we do them every single four hours. And you may have had way more progression in the form of the cervix moving down and forward, in the form of it getting thinner, it getting more flexible. And even though you've only gone from two to three centimeters, you've had all these other epic signs of cervical progression and maturation. Now, in addition to that, you imagine how we can use cervical dilation to assess progress because that's policy. However, as you can imagine, this is mainly an issue on your psyche, on your mental space when you're in labor. I always say this to my mamas, labor is just as much a mental game as it is a physical game. So not only do we have to prepare our bodies for labor to be able to allow labor to progress as quick as we possibly can because we are definitely under the pump when birthing in a hospital setting. We want our labor to progress as quick as it can for your body, but we also need to be very careful and very protective of our mental space surrounding birth, especially when we're in the birth room. So as you can imagine, if you've been doing an amazing job of laboring at home for 10 hours or so, you've decided you're in active labor, it's time to go to hospital, you're really cracking on, and you go in and you find out you're three centimeters dilated, especially if you're told with the terminology, oh, you're only three centimeters dilated, then you know, you're not allowed to go into the bath, they're thought that you're not actually laboring, maybe telling you to go home, or whatever it is, that can be really detrimental for your mental space in birth. And our mental space in birth is what allows your hormones to flow effectively, you able to tune into that labor brain and move intuitively into your movement, which is what we need to be able to do to wiggle our babies out. Then all of a sudden you get this kind of like knock to the face where you're feeling, oh, what, I'm only three centimeters dilated based on this archaic way of thinking that has never been proven to be effective. I'm not doing well in labor. Then... And that can be really detrimental to your mental space. And in the comparison, 
just to entertain the thought. And I don't think this is actually talked about very often, but if you imagine you go in and you hear your eight centimeters dilated and you think, sweet, I've only got like three hours left because cervix dilate one centimeter an hour and then an hour of pushing and I'm going to have my baby in my arms at three hours and I'm almost done. But then you're stuck there still eight hours later. You're still maybe eight or nine centimeters. You don't have your baby in your arms. You're still pushing. You're not feeling rectal pressure. And all of a sudden you feel like you've got a rip off because you were so close. And now all of a sudden labor's stalled when really your labor just progressed really quick at the start and the last couple of centimeters are taking a bit more time for whatever reason. There's, there's, there's no reason. It's just the body and how it works and every woman is so individually different. So that can be just as much of a detriment to a woman's mental space when trying to labor naturally. So being really, really aware when you go into hospital, one, you don't have to have vaginal exams. Two, you always have the choice of not being told what the vaginal exam is if you're worried about your mental space, which I think majority of us should be. Um, And three, if you do find out what the result of the vaginal exam is, you might be curious, you might feel like you have to because you're told to, but then I really caution you, and I think you even just listening to this podcast is fantastic for this, to not put such a mental load and not put so much validity in finding out what the dilation of your cervix is and thinking that that directly correlates with your labor progression and how much longer you're going to be in labor. If you just want to find out for fun and it really won't make any difference to you if you find out whether you're three centimeters or 10 centimeters, then by all means go for it. But really, really feel confident in your knowledge and your education to know that This isn't a sign of how much longer you're going to be in labor and it's not a sign of how much work you've actually done so far. So I wanted to give a couple of stories, uh, a couple of examples on um, what just proves the inaccuracy of vaginal exams. So one of my girlfriends, Adele, um, she is actually on the birth, the sorry, the Natural Birth Co podcast already, and she's told her birth story. So I'm just going to repeat this part of her birth story here, where for her first babe, she was, you know, very naturally inclined. Um, really didn't want, you know, an epidural or or any sort of intervention at all in her birth, and she was laboring really well at home. Came into hospital, she was definitely feeling like they were very intense. Like she was definitely under the impression, okay, labor is so not easy. This is really hard work right now. I really hope I'm close to having my baby because I don't know how much longer I can do this. This is really intense. She came in, she got a vaginal exam and she was two centimeters from memory. And then she was absolutely gutted that she was two centimeters. She thought, oh my gosh, what if my my pain threshold is just really low and the worst of the contractions are still yet to come? What if my pelvis is too small? What if my body's not doing the right things to allow my baby to move down my pelvis? Has a massive, massive meltdown. By the way, this story is so not rare. There's lots of women with this similar experience. Massive meltdown because not only, yeah, anyways, massive meltdown because she's thinking that she's not progressed very well. And then she continues to go on over the next, I think it was half an hour, and she's rolling around upset. These contractions are coming, coming, coming. It's very intense. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is only going to get worse. I've still got, you know, 12, 24 hours of this feeling. I don't know if I can hold on for that long. Maybe I won't get the natural birth that I really, really wanted. All of a sudden, she got another exam half an hour after she was two centimeters and she was 10 centimeters. 
oh my God. She literally jumped eight centimeters in that half an hour to an hour. Just unbelievable. Like that goes to show, yeah, the first 10 hours or so that she was at home, her cervix was like kind of plateauing, only increasing to two, two centimeters, three centimeters, whatever. And then all of a sudden in the last half an hour to an hour, it jumped up to 10 centimeters, which is this not linear line at all. And that is just I really reiterate that to my mum as that story often because I think it really proves how invalid the result of your dilation actually means, how invalid your cervical maturation actually means to the progress of your labor. Sometimes it can correlate, but sometimes it doesn't. That's just coincidence. But I really think we need to revalue, relook at how we look at vaginal exams. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen in the hospitals for a long, long time. But I do believe this transition will happen one day. But for women who are pregnant and birthing right here, right now, it is up to you to be really aware of your relationship with your cervix and understanding what the cervical maturation process actually means and being very strong and confident, not only yourself, but your birth partner, because ideally when you're in the birth space, you shouldn't have to be in a place of confidence, standing up for yourself, saying no, we, we, we would prefer that to come from the partner where you can say no if you don't want vaginal exams. If you don't want them four hourly, you can say six hourly. You can say no. And then if you decide an hour or two later, you want one, you can say yes. But being very, very confident and confident in your knowledge and confident in your education to be able to say no in labor, to be able to say no to these archaic recommended care solutions because we don't want to be receiving this unnecessary intervention. We don't want to be labeled as obstructed labor and then receive these unnecessary interventions which cause a whole bunch of issues in themselves. So Anyways, that was my summary of vaginal exams and cervixes. Let me know if you learned anything. This was really fun. It's kind of really strange not having someone to talk with me. It definitely feels a lot more pressure, but I'll get used to it. It'll be fine. I just wanted to mention as well, a lot of that information I got at the start about the historic stuff is from Rachel Reed's blog. She's the most amazing, knowledgeable, educated midwife. And she has um, a blog called Midwife Thinking. I really recommend having a really good read through. Um, Otherwise, I'll keep producing these podcasts that's going to have kind of similar content as well. Talk to you soon. so much for listening i really appreciate you being here all of these podcasts are recorded live in our facebook group so you are not only able to be the first to listen and watch the podcast but you are also able to ask questions throughout the podcast if you wish to jump into the facebook group the link is in the show notes i would also really appreciate if you left a five star written review Share this podcast with someone who would appreciate or even share your recent listen on your social stories. Lots of love.